Welcome to Function. I'm Anil Dash. And happy 2019, everybody. We are back with an episode, and I know a lot of you have on your minds, new year, new me, new resolutions. We're going to help you with that a little bit, especially if you are concerned about your finances and getting your money right in 2019. Now, there's a lot of apps that help you manage your money. Whether it's Mint, you need a budget, Acorns, you give them access to your bank accounts, they'll track your finances, they'll even show you where your money is going or how close you are to that goal of saving up for a vacation. The question is, though, are these apps really helpful? Do they change your behavior and the way you think about money, or are they just giving you pretty charts and graphs? Later on, we're going to talk to a personal finance coach about the advice that she gives to people in the real world who are trying to get better at managing money. But first, I talked to Varun Krishna. He's the vice president of product for Intuit. Intuit's the company that makes TurboTax and the budgeting app Mint. We talked about how these apps work and also how they help you manage your money. Varun, thanks for joining us. Hey, Anil. Uh, pleasure to be here. So walk us through the experience a little bit. I've decided I want to get my financial house in order. A friend of mine said you should check out an app like Mint. That'll help you out. What's the experience for a normal user when they want to get started? So um, the way Mint works is, so it's a free app, um, and it works on Android, on iOS, um, and on the web. Um, so the first thing you do is uh, basically go to the app store on your phone, and you can download the app. Um, and it'll ask you to create an account. And what Mint will ask you then to do is it'll ask you to um, provide access to the various financial accounts that you have, whether it's your credit card accounts, your bank accounts, investment accounts. Um, And Mint is automatically able to connect to over 20,000 different um, financial institutions. And so um, it basically asks you to provide access. Once you provide access, what Mint will do is it basically tracks and analyzes the data that's coming in from those accounts, and it aggregates it all in one place for you. And there's a couple of things that make that really awesome. Now, the first thing is that you don't have to go into all those different accounts to kind of see where your money's going. Um, All that cash flow is kind of tracked in one place. What you can also do is you can get access to interesting concepts like your net worth, and you can actually track your net worth over time. Um, Mint also has um, a free credit score included um, in it as well. And so what it does is basically aggregate all the different aspects of your financial life together in one place. Um, And then it has a couple of pretty interesting features on top of that that help you manage your finances. Um, You can set budgets and and get notifications on when you exceed and underseed your budgets. Um, You can set goals. And Mint will basically work toward uh, helping you achieve those goals uh, and send you notifications based on um, when you're ahead or when you're behind. Um, And then finally, uh, Mint also provides a capability that we just launched um, that we called Mint Sites. And what Mintsites do is they leverage a behaviorally informed intervention um, in the form of insights, notifications, and calls to action that help you improve your financial decision making. And so ultimately, Mint is an all-in-one solution to help you track and manage uh, your entire financial life. Think of it as a personal financial advisor for the every person. What's the typical path for somebody that that comes to you? Are they saying they're in a panic about where's all my money going? Or are they more of the the plan ahead person who's thinking, okay, I want to get a handle on this stuff before it it gets out of control? You know, to answer your question, it's it's really the entire spectrum. Um, But there's sort of a fundamental um, commonality, which is that for many people, it's just simply a matter of saying, look, I need to get in control of my finances. And so you have people at one end of the spectrum that are a little more, we call them trackers. Um, you know, they sort of have more of that OCD personality. They want to see their money's going. They will check Mint multiple times daily. 
um, and they're they're more of sort of the organized mentality. At the other end, we have you know um, slackers, uh, you know, in a, in a colloquial term, but really people that are they may have you know financial challenges, and this is really a first step for them to start to um, take control of that, um, really be even more transparent with themselves about um, being more cognizant of their finances, having a financial plan, um, just even starting to look at things like their finances on a day-to-day basis. And what's interesting to me is money and finance is a very, um, it's a very, uh, it's a nuanced uh, concept for most consumers. And, you know, from Intuit's background of working on TurboTax, Mint, um, and sort of seeing the spectrum, there is a little bit of a cognitive bias between what people believe um, themselves when it comes to their finances, what they tell other people, and then like the the mathematical reality. And so we see that spectrum pretty broadly. And so it what it what it kind of helps us understand is there are there are many different ways of solving these problems depending on where you are in the spectrum. So this is really interesting because you come back to the sense of people want to feel in control. They want to feel like they understand what's happening with their money. And and it seems like there's these very deep rooted emotional aspects to what are you know, if you, if you look at it dispassionately, and this is this is an app on my phone with some charts and graphs, right? It should be, uh, you know, just just some data. But but people have these feelings that go into how they see themselves, what their relationship is with their partner or their spouse, maybe you know what their relationship was like with their parents and how how the you know the house they grew up in talked about money. Do all those things come into play? They, they really do. And you know what's interesting is, I mean, there is there is so much research. Um, out there that just talks about the role that money plays in the average consumer's life. You know, I read an article yesterday that, you know, for most couples, money is the number one source of stress in their financial life. You know, millennials um, state that money is the number one source of stress in their life. And so what's interesting is there's sort of an underlying currency of the role that finances and money play. And it's different um, for different people, but, but there is something, I think, that makes it a very central element of the rest of your life. And what we found is that if you look at the spectrum of solutions that are out there, you know, not every kind of product or solution is geared toward the customer's best interests. You know, the average consumer doesn't understand something like underwriting. And so if they go into a car dealership and try to understand, hey, you know, what they're thinking about is, hey, how can I get this car that I want and drive off the lot? And they don't understand that if they take dealer offered financing versus just shopping, you know, they where they get a 2% interest rate, an 8% interest rate, or a 20% interest rate, those concepts are sort of foreign. And they're deliberately foreign because there is a lot of um, there's a lot of money that's made by the various players in the financial industry, depending on how that how that works. You know, the implication of a 2% interest rate or a or a 5% interest rate, that has an implication on their financial life potentially five to 10 years in the future. And so most consumers just don't, they're not able to make that, that leap between short and long-term financial planning. And, and, you know, there's a part of me that believes that they shouldn't have to because technology um, data can, can actually um, obfuscate that if it's just more representative of the customer. And so, you know, I'll give you another example, which is, you know, bill payment. You know, I, I'm sure maybe you, you use your online bill payment system whether it's Chase or Bank of America, to be able to pay bills. But there's a reason why, you know, if you're going to miss your bill payment, there aren't things like reminders that help you escape late fees because it's easy for the bank to make money when they charge you overdraft fees. And so, you know, what's interesting is there isn't truly a lot of players out there that are very agnostic of 
um, you know, their own potential interests and really focus on just how can we help you save money? How can we help you make your money work for you? And data and technology can be incredibly powerful to kind of go after that. So it sounds to me like where all of these tools are headed is giving us a reflection of what we're doing, but also hopefully steering us away from the fact that so many of the so many of the platforms or so many of the, the companies that we work with are just trying to make a buck at our expense, right? Like they, they, they're hiding the places that we could be saving money and putting out front the places that might be costing us a couple extra bucks, you know, every day. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I think it's a confluence of two things. I think one is on the consumer side, there's definitely a psychology and sort of a, a behavioral economics construct. Most people don't want to face the reality that they may not be making the best financial decisions with their lifestyle choices. And they need a little bit of coaching, a little bit of nudging, no different than getting healthy, no different than dealing with fitness. And you know, behavioral economics definitely reveals that human beings are imperfect financial decision makers. I think what makes it worse is there's a system of finance that is sort of designed to make it difficult to know what the right financial decisions are because there are profits and other types of things that are made. And so I think the two things kind of combine to create the perfect storm that make it hard to, you know, not only have the realization that you need to kind of get back on the financial treadmill, if you will, and then actually finding the path to get there, um, you know, getting the best deal, knowing what types of budgets to set, um, you know, setting goals, um, and, and also doing it kind of in a positive way, because at the end of the day, you know, there is a lot of pain out there and, like you know, you know, finances are kind of a taboo thing. And so what we found is it's really hard to provide insights that are um, honest and yet motivating. And so a lot of what, you know, again, you, you asked about Intuit is that that concept of leaving the customer feeling empowered um, is challenging because sometimes it's it's sort of facing the reality of a situation that may not make you feel good, but it's the starting point of something better. So I think that the two things combined, there's sort of a psychological element that is very consumer centric. And then there's sort of the rest of the system and, and sort of protecting customers from, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that they can get trapped into. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's feeling overwhelmed about their financial situation or they're feeling the stress, even if they're okay financially, where, you know, they're bickering with their partner about where the money is going or they're worrying about saving for college for the kids. Do you think the apps and the tools that are out there can help reduce some of that stress? Like are these, is that a goal that you all have in mind when you're building these apps? It is. And, and I think that, um, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that ultimately, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a cause of stress, right? Your finances, money in general, the, the, the number one thing it, it ultimately fuels is probably your stress and anxiety. You think about it, you think about it daily, weekly, monthly. Um, what's interesting is, you know, there, there's two things. Like one is, you know, there are things that you can do about the situation and we want to make sure that we can educate people on what that is. Like if you have, you know, multiple credit cards and you consolidate them into a personal loan, you may save five to $10,000. If you have, you know, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt, you know, there's a pretty good chance that if you have a good job and you have, you know, a reasonable income, you can refinance that debt and save maybe ten to twenty thousand dollars over the lifetime of that loan. Those are things that people, those are opportunities that people don't take, and so I think just helping them with those, it, you know, there is a goal of reducing their financial stress. You know, the other thing I think that also helps with this is, uh, is is not feeling alone. Um, because as we've, we've looked at, we have millions of customers that use TurboTax. Um, so there's a lot of data that we get from the tax returns of one in five Americans. And, and there's a lot of data that we get from Mint as well. And so 
one thing you realize is there's a lot of power in the solidarity of realizing that other people have been in the same situation that you've been in. You're not alone. And what's even more positive is people have taken steps to escape that situation. And so a lot of what we do is try to understand that and codify it to try to help people with the goal of reducing that stress, you know, getting them on a path to financial stability. And then our real vision is ultimately to drive prosperity. Um, but, but it's a journey because, you know, for many people, it's about kind of just getting back on track first. And then actually, you know, once you're able to have money, for example, you know, you can get that money to work for you. And so we do feel like this is one of those challenges that, you know, could take us a lifetime to go after. But that's what makes it worthwhile. Um, and that's what at least excites me, um, excites me to go after it. Well, Varun, thank you for joining us on Function. I appreciate you taking the time and doing the work. Thank you, Anil. This is, uh, this is really fun. Happy to be here. We'll have more with Tara Jackson after the break. Welcome back to Function. I'm Anil Dash. Now, you heard a little earlier about the apps you can use to manage your money, but we also talked to a personal finance coach who works with people who are trying to spend more wisely. Tara Jackson, who's also known as Madam Money, is a financial coach and author. Her book, Financial Fornication, explores the emotional mistakes we make with our money. And at a practical level with her clients, she also recommends apps that they can use to manage their money, like Mint or You Need a Budget. And what she told us is that it's great to have these tools, but ultimately the way we spend and feel about our money is personal and emotional, and changing that involves changing the way we feel about ourselves and the way we spend our time, not just our money. Tara, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I want to start right at the beginning. What got you interested in personal finance? What brought you to even care about this issue, let alone become an expert or an authority on it? I think what made me really passionate about it is because I made so many major money mistakes Mm. that I did not want people to have to go through that or if they went through it to know that there's life after And so I became very passionate. And, you know, I was running a financial institution and I realized there were a lot of people that just didn't know the basics. And so I wanted to help them along the way. So at least if they did make mistakes, it wasn't because they didn't know. Right. And it seems like there's these two universals that happen when you're a young adult, which is that you will get your heart broken and you will screw up your finances, (laughs) maybe at the same time, right? (laughs) Probably at the same time. (laughs) And, and, And you sort of draw a line between how we see our, you know, our love lives, our personal lives, our relationships, and how we see our relationship to money. Absolutely. So I wrote a book called Financial Fornication. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, that's an easy one to Google. That's an easy one to Google. <laughs> financial Fornication, I tell you. And so it, it's everything the title says it is. So um, even though I had a lot of celebrities, athletes that were my clients, and I kind of saw their real financial standing mm-hmm. versus what they were blinging out on TV, um, I had to look at myself and I realized I was financially promiscuous with credit cards, Mm -hmm. multiple, and I kind of end up with financial STDs, substantially (laughs) tremendous debt, and they hurt. (laughs) So, And I figured I probably wasn't the only one that was dealing with that. And so I created cures that I'd use to to get out of it, to heal myself financially. And I put them in a book because most money books are very technical in a sense of what you should do. But this is more emotional 
um, because relationships are emotionally driven. And so we have relationships with money and relationships with financial institutions, and it's emotionally driven. Right. So. And sometimes they're a little bit codependent. Sometimes they're unhealthy. <laughs> very unhealthy. So I was having a very unhealthy relationship with my financial institution and my credit cards. It felt good at the time, but, you know, it's right. like waking up with your ex. Kind of <laughs> <Okay>. wonder. <laughs> so if you or your clients have, have gotten into an unhealthy place with, with money in their lives, what are some of the strategies you bring to them or some of the context you give them to help all of us rethink what, what role money plays? Well, the first thing, if you're dealing with some financial um, unhealthy relationships, the first thing I do is to practice financial abstinence. Financial abstinence is when you stop using credit cards. You got to kind of see where you are, try to balance out how much everything is and try to make a plan on how to reduce um, the debt or take a good, even financial abstinence using a debit card. Because sometimes we use our debit cards and we don't pay attention of everything that's coming out of the account. So stop, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe use cash for a specific period of time. And once that cash is gone, you kind of feel it. And so when I talk about financial abstinence, you know, we need to stop the behaviors that's getting us into the trouble, which could be the credit cards, could be the debit cards. Um, of course, we got to pay bills. We got to do all that. But right. if we're going to do things outside of what our normal required spending is life, then we should use cash and try to flush out where we are. Mm -hmm. The next thing I do is tell people that they have to use financial protection, you know, <laughs> which is a budget. And so to name your dollars, to make them work for you, but you have to tell your money where it's going to go or your money will tell you what you can't do. Right. Um, and as for us spenders, you know, we don't like the word budget, mm -hmm. you know, so that that sounds like diet. <laughs> die, deprivation, I can't. And we rebel against that. So we like to hear spending plans. So we spend on savings, spend on investing, spend mm. on life. Um, and that gets to that sort of that, that pleasure, that, that, pleasure that emotional principle. rewarding aspect of it. Absolutely. And that's what I talk about in my upcoming book, The Four Financial Languages, because we all speak a financial language just like we speak a love language. Mm -hmm. And so spenders, we, we, you know, there are triggers for us. Savers, there's triggers for them. Investors and givers, there's triggers for them. And if they're negative triggers, that's when we retreat. And we do the opposite of what we're supposed to do. Right. And you fall into shame or bad behavior, bad yeah. patterns, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Telling a spender not to spend. Yeah, they're going to spend everybody's money. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't want to do that. So the instruments that people are using, whether that's debit, credit, cash, the other tools that they have, that's one way to sort of do that reset and look at spending. Are there categories people tend to look at where they're, you know, whether it's food or entertainment or something like that? Are there, are there things that people tend to look at? I mean, the classic thing is the... Mm -hmm. Stop spending five bucks on Starbucks. But putting that aside, like, are there more meaningful things people can yeah, do? Yeah, I hope nobody asked me to do that. But right. yeah, I mean, the biggest one is probably eating out, right? Mm -hmm. We spend so much money on eating out because nobody likes to fix a freaking sandwich. <laughs> so we, you know, sometimes we got to look at maybe instead of eating out seven days a week, let's try doing it for four and cook mm -hmm. for three. Mm -hmm. Let's start being financially abstinent on eating out every single day. And it's not just one meal. They're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, entertainment, going out with your girlfriends or your guys, you know, everybody's balling out. Right. Um, and nobody wants to feel like they can't ball with them. So a lot of people spend money that they really don't have to stay in that clique. So, right. so a little less bottle service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go to the liquor store and buy a $2 bottle. <laughs> I promise you it's cheaper. <laughs> Those things, you know, any other entertainment, that I, I even look at my my cell phone service 
see if there is a way I can, you know, reduce some of that. Cable. I only watched two channels on cable when I was paying like 300 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I tried to say, oh, it's because of my internet and phone. Well, I never used my landline and I only needed the internet. So what else could I do to save some money there? So it just helps you to reevaluate where the spending is going so you can make better decisions. So the theory that we have uh, and so many things in society today is technology is supposed to make things easier. And we talk about all these very fraught aspects of money and our mm-hmm. relationship in our lives. And it's so emotional and so stressful. And, you know, I always hope, can't the apps on my phone solve some of this for me? Tell me about your experience with that. Like, I'm curious about you as a person first, mm-hmm. before you're this, you know, uh, expert on personal finance. Like, if I look at your phone, what apps have you got to manage your money? So it's funny, you know, as I pick up my phone, I have the full, I have a folder all right, you got a whole folder of money I have a whole folder apps. called financial apps. Okay. It's literally a whole folder of it. I think it's two pages worth of financial apps. <laughs> and so I organize them because, you know, I have like Acorns. I have um, Cash App. I have my PayPal. I have mm-hmm. Digit, Capital, Robinhood, Mint. Okay. You know, and so hitting some of, of these categories. So, so things like Cash App. PayPal may be for send, sending money to friends or like Venmo and, and sort of splitting the bill on something. Right. The Acorns could be like taking little pennies out of your account and putting them away in the savings. Acorns is like investing. You know, yep. it, you, you can start investing with $5. Mm-hmm. And so it's doing that even if you like, even if you stash, you know, I yep. love stash. Mm-hmm. Um, digits or similar digits, to that. Digit or capital, Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I have so much money saved in digit. And I didn't even know it. So mm. it pulls pennies and a few background. dollars. Right, in the background. And I just don't pay attention to it until I go into my Digit app and see that I got a, you know, a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. stashed away, which I always think people should have a reverence account, a savings account that's separate from their checking account anyway, because mm-hmm. um, you don't want to pull from it. But and then something like Robinhood is like the even more advanced version of that for intentionally investing. In it is like Robinhood allows you to invest in individual stocks. So when I wanted to in- invest in Nike mm-hmm. individually, I can do that. So when Nike was down, mm-hmm. you know, I bought a couple stocks and then when oh it, when they did it, that ad with cap and you're like I gotta yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta I, get I did, it I gotta do it like two <laughs> years ago it was at 50 something then it was at 75 I was like I gotta do it mm-hmm. and then it went it dipped and so I buy in the dips so mm-hmm, I sure. just it went on sale. So I bought some more. I did it through Robinhood. That's funny. That is the spender's mentality. The stock is on sale. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 you've got this whole host of apps and and probably a lot of folks that are that are listening are gonna have three, four, or five money apps, right? On their mm-hmm. phone. And it's everything from, like I said, Venmo to split the bill at, at you go out to dinner to you know, uh, what, whether it's Acorn or, or Acorns or Digits that are like doing an automated task. Mm-hmm. I'm curious in particular about that category of these apps that are sort of going, you know, almost behind your back without mm-hmm. you knowing. They're just, you know, pocketing, secreting away a couple of dollars. And I think a lot of us have a behavior of like you, when you, you, you take out your winter clothes and you find $5 in the pocket – and it feels like you won the lottery. Just happened to me. Oh my god! <laughs> I pulled out a coat and had ten bucks in there, and it was the best gift ever. Right, right. It's like the gift to your future self you didn't even intend. Exactly. Is that is that a healthy way for us to look at these apps? Like, is it okay to do that, or is that like cheating on your diet? Like, how does that fit into a good plan? It's only cheating on your diet if you're spending that money and you're not using it for 
purposes of your future self, right? Mm-hmm. So I, because I'm a spender, I know I'm going to have to stash money away that I don't see because if I don't have access to it, I'm not going to spend it. So that is a great way without me knowing, but I do know mm-hmm. that it's going someplace else. So I see the transaction happen. So it's not like the money's going somewhere and I don't know where it's going. Right. I know where it's going. And if I need access to it, I can have access to it. But that's a great way for me as a spender to save without me having to physically save, mm-hmm. right? So the apps are helping me. So you sort of don't feel the pinch of it. I don't feel the pinch. And they have a great overdraft protection type thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll stop transferring money if it feels like you're going to overdraft on your account mm-hmm. to avoid overdraft. So it, it's a cool technology. Um, I use it all the time. I use several savings apps. So I have money actually coming out from different things, especially like the, are you familiar with the 52-week savings challenge i think i've heard of this but tell me more so like every day like the first day you save one dollar the second day is two dollar the third day is three dollars oh wow or you can do it by weeks right Mm -hmm. so the first week is one dollar the second week is two dollars the third week is three dollars right so by the end of the year 52 dollars you're saved you've saved almost 1400 dollars. wow right so the capital app actually allows you to do that. And it just automates it. It's automates you, it. Right? So every week it's going to do $1 and then the second week it's going to do $2 or you can reverse it. So I reversed it. So the first week was $52. And you felt that pinch, right? I did. <laughs> I felt it all the way up to 30 something dollars, right? So yeah. I was like, ah, but it grew, it grew my right. savings account much faster. Right. And I knew I wanted less coming out closer to the holidays. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to save for holidays. And most of us were lucky by the end of the year, three, four dollars, we're not going to feel it so exactly. much. You, know, you might not even notice. Exactly. Like my coffee was like six bucks today. So <laughs> I didn't feel three dollars. <laughs> that's right. So so that's really interesting because it, it seems like this is different than like, you know, we use apps for whatever, for our food and going on a diet or exercise, something like this. But in this case, you know, these apps with money, one, they can go behind your back, right? It can do something without you knowing. It can sort of be pushing the buttons. Like you set it up, but you, you might not have initiated on that particular day, right, right. move $6 into my savings, right. right? But yet that could be healthy. Like the fact that we're not thinking about it consciously in this case might be good because we're otherwise going to feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to this money. I don't want to let it go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's good when, you, again, you're saving for your future self, when you're saving on purpose. For right. It's designed it and it's intentional. designed for an intentional thing. But the great thing is, is if you, you're like, oh, I can't deal with this right now, you can shut it off. You can mm-hmm. pause it. Yeah. You know, so you can consciously control whether the account is doing that. I do it on an account where I know, one, I'm going to have money in there, but mm-hmm. I do transactions or whatever. So it's just going to save. Now, it's a, if it's an account that I know I'm going to keep low, I don't tie that account to it. So right. you have to be very conscious of what accounts you're going to tie to these apps yep. as well. Um, but for the most part, I love financial apps, especially like Mint yeah. and um, You Need a Budget mm-hmm. because it helps people that are not familiar with creating budgets to create that spending plan or mm-hmm. that savings plan, right? And it makes it very simple. I live by Mint. Hmm. I, I wake up and I look at Mint. So even as day. an expert, you're <laughs> like, this is a tool that's useful for you. It is because I want to see what's coming in and out of my account and then I categorize it. So at the end of the month, it gives me a cute little graph to tell me where I spent my money. Right. So it gives me my reality checks. So my vice is, you know, food and going to yeah. the bar. Right? I remember when I first signed up for Mint and, you know, my wife and I looked at it and the second biggest bar after the rent was like restaurants and we're like, yeah. well, we better enjoy these meals. <laughs> yeah. So when I when I hit $1,200 on restaurants and eating out, yeah. 
I couldn't tell myself that I couldn't afford to save, mm-hmm. that I couldn't afford mm-hmm. to do certain things. So I had to make a conscious decision if I was going to continue to eat my food away or if I was going to maybe eat $500 and then put the mm-hmm. other 600 someplace else. You know you right. know what I mean? So I can now make better financial decisions by seeing where my money's going. So at some point, these apps, this tech is is almost holding up a mirror and you have to decide, am I comfortable with what I see that thing reflecting back at me. Yeah. I mean, that's with anything. It's even with our health, right? Yeah. So we go to the doctor so the doctor can say, hey, this is what's going on. And you either take the prescription or you don't. Um, You live or you die. It's your choice. So it's the same thing with your financial life. You know, you got to know where you are because you may not be as bad off as you thought you were. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a very serious thing. And if you don't make changes, then it's going to be serious. It's going to be really serious consequence. Absolutely. So how much of of getting right with money and our lives, do you find with yourself or even especially with your clients that you coach, how much of it is about the emotion of it? How much of it is about the feelings around what money means to us and how we grew up and whether we had any money growing up mm-hmm. and, and all that? It's a lot. It's 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 very it's mental and emotional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if your mindset says you're broke and all of this, well, your wish is my command. The universe will give you broke and give you things to perpetuate that. So it, the hardest part is changing the mind. That's the muscle. That's the hardest muscle to change is the mind. Mm-hmm. But once you change that, the behaviors start going. Yeah, there's a lot of things in our past, but I don't think it's just a money thing. I think that's a life thing. So if, you know, I was abused or I did this or whatever, we still have to take ownership and decide if we're going to move forward or if we're going to live in the past. It's the same thing dealing with money. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a lot of any kind of change, whether it is money or your physical self or these things, is is this making yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, And I wonder about, like, does... Handing some of that off to technology make it easier to do that, where you feel less threatened, less defensive, because, well, the app is doing it mm-hmm. for me, and I'm not having to be, you know, challenging myself or pushing myself in that way. And then I can be a little more passive and be a little less, you know, afraid of it. The apps, again, just help you to see where you are. Mm-hmm. It's not a magic wand. Right. You know what I mean? It's not going to change who you are. So if you're not a person, if you do analysis paralysis, you can get all the data and mint and still not make the appropriate you know, changes in there. What the apps do, most of them, like you need a budget, help you to organize. And um, mint shows you where the money's going. Acorns helps you to start investing so you don't have to believe that you need millions and thousands of dollars to invest. So mm-hmm. it just makes it easier to start doing the things that we say that we want to do um, and helps us to have access to that. Because before before these apps, you know, we couldn't just, you know, do $5 or we could, but we didn't know where. Right. right? So it's almost setting you up to be able to ask the right questions. Ask the right questions and move towards action, you know, in, in baby steps. Right. You know, like, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time, right? So you got to take the first damn bite. So once you do that, then you can take bigger bites and you can move towards those goals. So that makes a lot of sense. I've got one last question I, I want to pose to you, which is almost a you know magic lamp question, which is if you could have an app be created, you could you know wave your magic wand and it would help solve people's financial challenges, financial stresses, reduce their anxiety around money. What would you imagine it would do? I'm so glad you asked. So, <laughs> like, I so want this Mad Money app, and I need a coder or somebody to, like, love me enough to do this, right? So the, the Mad Money app would have, um, it's like, it's almost like a budgeting or a spending plan app. 
So you would set the amount of money that you want to spend, say, for groceries. And you would go to the store, and you there's a barcode on each item. Right. So it would scan it. And would put the price in there and deduct it from your budget, including the tax and everything. So when you're at zero dollars, you know how much everything costs in your cart right now. So you see how much space you got left. Exactly. For this. So if you're at zero dollars and you still need to buy more stuff, you may need to make the decision to put some stuff away because you don't need it. Or you consciously will take money out of another category to put in there. But it helps us to be more aware of our spending. You know, have you ever been to the grocery store? You got all there and you think you only spent a hundred bucks and it turns <laughs> out to be $297. And you're like, what in the world? I meant I was shopping hungry, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I should have ate before I went. But you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this, my app would be able to help people understand where their money's going and be able to make conscious decisions on do I really need this right now? Should I put it away? Or I need this, I need to add more money to this category. All right. Well, that sounds like a, a dream come true. Hopefully somebody will help you create that and we'll have a, the Madam Money app to look forward to in the future. Uh, Whoever un- you are, I love you already. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, we will heed the advice that you shared with us. Tara Jackson, thank you for joining us on Function. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Well, now you know everything you need to get your finances in order in 2019. That's it for this time on Function. Function is produced by Bridget Armstrong. Our associate producer is Maurice Cherry. Nishat Kurwa is the executive producer of audio for the Vox Media Podcast Network. Our theme music was composed by Brandon McFarland. And big thanks to the entire team at Glitch. You can follow me on Twitter at Anil Dash. And of course, you can always check out Function at glitch.com slash function. So please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. 